My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. Welcome back to a Minor Detail Podcast. Good evening, everyone. My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Podcast. You can find me on the web at aminordetail.com, where we talk about state government, talk about local news, and we have a lot of upcoming stories to report on. January 9th is when session begins, when legislators from all over the state head back to Annapolis and start out that 90-day crawl to the finish line in April. And I'm excited about that. Um, I'm not excited that it seems like all of the area sports teams lost today, including the Redskins, including the Ravens, and my Steelers lost. And it's just been a really bad weekend for sports. Um, And I'm hoping that my guest tonight, Baltimore County Councilman David Marks, can weigh in on all of these uh, sporting disasters. What say you, David? That's the easiest question right out the bat. What's going on with the Ravens and uh, the Redskins? I don't know much about the Redskins. I mean, uh, the Ravens, you know, missed opportunities. Uh, a lot of optimism there, but just a missed opportunity right at the end. Well, I, I know that no one is happy this weekend in the minor household. Uh, I'm a Steelers fan. Our daughter Paige is a Ravens fan, and our son Josh is a Redskins fan. Uh, Kim, she's she goes anyway. She doesn't doesn't matter. <laughs> she's not a sports fan. But um, you know, we could talk about sports all night. But instead, I think I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about what's happening in Baltimore County government. It's an area that I wish I had more of an opportunity to cover, and hoping that this is the first of many conversations, Councilman. So let's start out talking about you, I believe you were first elected in, was it 2010? Um, That's correct. And, mm-hmm. and so you were, this is going to be your third term on the council. You represent District 5. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about your background, how you got started in Maryland politics. That's always the fun part is to learn about the guests uh, and kind of where they grew up, where they came from, and what led them enter public service. So, David, I know that every politician and uh, public official loves to talk about themselves. This is the perfect platform (laughs) to do it. So the floor is yours, my friend. Sure, sure. And and I'm happy to be here. And uh, thank you for the service you provide uh, to your listeners. It's it's great to be on this. Um, So I I grew up in Baltimore County uh, in the 1980s. Um, And, uh, you know, I'd always been interested in politics. Um, when I was growing up, you know, Helen Bentley was the dominant Republican figure up here. And she did a tremendous amount to really grow the Republican Party. Uh, I went away to college, the University of Maryland. I ran for the Central Committee when I was a senior at College Park. Uh, I was actually state chairman of the College Republicans. Um, And, you know, when we were College Republicans, we actually delivered the University of Maryland precinct to Ellen Sauerbrey, which was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, got, yeah, got on the central committee, um, graduated from college, went to graduate school and got more involved in my community. Um, I was actually involved in my community for about, I guess, 15 years before I ever ran for office. In 2010, there was a vacancy on the county council. Uh, by that point I had a job in Washington. I got a little tired of the commute. So I decided to roll the dice and run for the county council and I won. Um, and I've been there for three terms. Uh, my, my district is a very interesting district. It's, uh, it stretches from Towson all the way to the Hartford County line. Wow. Um, and, uh, I think I've been pretty successful. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a very difficult job at times, but 
you know, this local government is, is kind of cool because you can really see the results of your labor. You get schools built, roads built, parks opened. Um, you really can make a difference. Yeah, you, you can. And that's that local government, closest government to us, is most important. And not only that, you it's accessible. I'll give you an example. I live in Montgomery County. I grew up in Washington County. But the other day, Montgomery County, their council, they invited members of the press to have lunch with them um, in our county office building. And it was, a, it was a great opportunity for me to be introduced to some of our new council members. And I know I, I know all nine of them and have built relationships with them. But that's important is for local government to communicate with uh, their constituents. Um, and we can have that conversation at any time. We can, I can call up one of my county mm-hmm. council members. I have their cell phones and talk about an issue that I'm passionate about. And they often take that um, or put that, you know, stick it in their hat and take it to a meeting or have that discussion. And so that's why I think, especially here in Maryland, I feel like our leaders, our elected officials um, at the local level, the municipal level, they're accessible. You can talk to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've had that experience as a, as a Baltimore County councilman, especially with many of the issues that were on the table and what you're going to be facing, where somebody can pick up their cell phone and call you at any time and say, hey, Councilman Marks, here's what's on my mind. You know, what's that like, David, having the, taking those phone calls? What, that's, that's always fascinating to me, um, just the accessibility between constituent and, and, and someone who's in public service. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's the best part of the job. Um, I mean, you know, most of your folks on a first name basis, you know, a lot of the community leaders, you know, a supermarket, people recognize you. Sometimes you don't recognize them, but you, they recognize you. Uh, you get a lot of uh, good ideas um, and a lot of ideas for projects just from talking to PTA presidents and Boy Scouts. Um, you know, it really is an engaging and interactive position. It's also, I think, among the least partisan of political positions. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not to say it's devoid of partisanship. And I think over the past four or five years, that has slowly started to seep down from the federal level to the state to the local level. But it is the one level where I think, you know, you, you do have much less of a partisan uh, tint to the issues um, than almost any other level of government. And, and that's really reassuring. Your website, councilmandavidmarks.com, it says bipartisan and independent, and I think that's a moniker that is that is fairly applied to who you are as a representative of Baltimore County. I've always seen you be someone who doesn't fall into a certain party line to make a public policy decision, but rather, I've always seen you analyze an issue, David, from all sides and come up with a solution that is best for the people of Baltimore County, and I think more people should follow that lead and make independent and bipartisan decisions. So that's good on you. And I, I always appreciate how you, and I've seen this and you've done it uh, through social media and you've communicated effectively. And I know that many votes that you have taken have been, have been tough and have not necessarily fallen along party lines, but you've had to make a decision that is best for your constituency. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, and they're tough votes. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a good example of one we just took. So speed cameras, you know, I, I generally voted against speed cameras. Um, I, I just don't like the way they're operated. I think there's better ways you can you can control traffic. Um, but the fact of the matter is we our council has four Democrats and three Republicans. The three Republicans could have gone into this. Uh, there was a recent vote on, on extending the contract for the speed cameras. And the three Republicans could have gone into this again and voted no. But the contract would have passed anyway with the four Mm -hmm. Democratic votes. So we we got together and we said to ourselves, look, we're going to lose this vote. What if we reluctantly agree to vote for this contract, but the Democrats finally put a cap on the number of cameras? You know, right now we have, I guess, like a dozen red light cameras and 30 or so speed cameras near schools. They could boost that number from a dozen red light cameras to 270 red light cameras and from the 30 or so speed cameras around schools to 158. And so we said to the Democrats, look, 
we're going to lose this if we vote no. Would you agree to cap it at the current number? And with that agreement, we voted for the contract. Now, you know, there's the campaign for liberty and the people like that that just want you to go in and do no votes, symbolic no votes. But yeah. when you don't have the votes to kill something, you know, try to get the best outcome. And we thought we got the best outcome. So that's, well, that's an example that's where that's governing. It's governing, I mean, and 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 it's yeah. governing. And you know, you you can go in there and and just take the ideological position, or you can try to make things about as best as you can make them. And that's what we did. Well, that's a but tough of course, vote, you know, and... the campaign for liberty and and those folks, they'll they'll go out there and they'll just they'll just present the one side story. Well, I I've seen the campaign for liberty do exactly what you just characterized. They present one side of the story. And yep. I I know that they mean well and I I fundamentally believe and you know someone and I'm sure like yourself as well that oftentimes yeah. less government is is often better for especially at the local level and having transparent and accessible government. But I've seen campaign for liberty folks, they do this thing where they demonize the person rather than stick to the issue. And then they make you into not necessarily you or someone that with whom they disagree on an issue, you become the enemy, the public enemy number one, and it just leads into a unproductive conversation, which doesn't help. That's a they have they have legs behind that movement, and it's a movement that I respect. But you know, David, I've seen them bash people over the head with certain issues, vow that they're never going to support them. They did the same thing with Governor Hogan, and Governor Hogan won re-election by. Uh, what, 14, 15 points. So they, they vowed never to support him based on his, some of the, the gun issues, which, I mean, that's up to them to decide that. But the Campaign for Liberty, it seems like it's actually strong up in the Baltimore County area, the Hartford County area. I've, I've, I've seen some real movement up in that area. Um, but uh, Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a bit stronger at Hartford. I mean, they, they ran someone against me, and I, I won, uh, won very easily. Um, yeah, like 80% of the vote, but it's, um, you know, my frustration with them is that they, they'll come out and attack Republicans and they were very active in the primary election, but then they disappeared. You know, we had a general election right. and, uh, they, they didn't say anything about, you know, the, the Democrat candidate for County executive who, who had a very a big supporter of section eight and things like that. They just disappeared and, uh, they could have helped us, but, but you're right. There, there are very good people who go to those meetings and there are very good people who believe in their principles. It's just, you know, be pragmatic and try to get the best you can get out of a government where the Republicans are in the minority. Let's talk about the 2018 election. Let's, let's go mm-hmm. back to the primary. Of course you won your primary and um, the real spotlight race, the Keystone race, one of several in the state of Maryland was, who would succeed uh, into the executive spot. And that was an interesting Democratic primary. And the Republican primary, for what it's worth, David, that was an interesting uh, Republican primary. And I want to talk briefly about those two. On the, on the Republican mm-hmm. side, of course, you had Al Redmer, the insurance, Maryland Insurance Commissioner, and then um, State Delegate Pat McDonough, who represents well, one of three seats in District 7, Al, at, at the at the breaking last moment, people had somewhat predicted that that Al Redmer could have possibly lost that primary against Pat McDonough, who is well res- well liked. I don't want to say respected, and maybe that's unfair, but he is well thought of by a very specific certain Republican base in District Seven, and he's. He's known. He's run for public office outside of um, the, the uh, county, uh, the state government before. And then, of course, he lost the primary to Al Redmer. And then in the, the Democratic primary was interesting. There was Brochin. Uh, there was Johnny Osheski. And then um, remind me of the other candidate. I'm forgetting. I shouldn't. Forget. Uh, Vicky, Vicky, Vicky. Ullman. Yeah. Vicky Ullman. Yeah. What, what was your what was your take on the Democratic primary? They Johnny O didn't win the Democratic primary by very much. It was you know, within what twenty some votes, seventeen. Yeah, twenty votes. I mean, if Jim Brochin had knocked on one more street, he might have won. I mean, it's just 
a, pr- a pretty amazing primary. Um, you know, Vicki Allman serves with me on the council. Um, very nice person. Um, heart's in the right place. Backed by the three other Democrats on the council. Um, I think she was caricatured as kind of a, the developer's candidate in that oh, race. Yeah. Um, Brochin, uh, Jim Brochin, I, I know I know him and, and Allman pretty well. Brochin uh, kind of had this reputation for being the independent person, a maverick. Um, and uh, most people thought he was going to win the primary. But then Allman and Brochin started going after each other in commercials. And <laughs> Olszewski kind of just sat back and uh, he won, you know, just got all the votes of those who were dissatisfied with the, the tone of the campaign, the negativity. He also went after the progressive block of voters in the county. Um, this county doesn't have a reputation for being you know, overly liberal, but you know there are a lot more younger voters. There are places like Towson, Catonsville that seem to be getting a little more liberal, and uh, he very wisely courted that segment of the population and then just kind of um, rode it out as the other two were just attacking each other, and that's yeah. how he won. By by a few votes, and don't ever let anybody tell you, and you know better than anyone, never let anybody tell you that knocking on a few extra doors doesn't matter because it does in local elections, oh, yeah. municipal elections. That's what it's all about, and whether knocking on doors translates into votes, that's to be decided by the voters, but it certainly helps, and Jim Brochin um, who's, I think, perceived, at least in my opinion, he's perceived as somewhat of a moderate. In fact, so much so, he came out and endorsed Governor Hogan uh, after the uh, the primary was decided for the Democrats. That was an interesting move. Did that did that help him or did that hurt him as a politician? His image, rather. Well, he, you know, his his staff, you know, who, who I I dealt with after the primary because. Uh, they helped with Chris West, you know, who eventually won his seat, the Republican who won his seat. His staff tell me that they he just got a ton of you know, nasty mail after from Democrats after he did that. Um, I mean, I don't know if Jim Brochin is going to go back into politics. Um, maybe he gets an appointed position with Hogan, but um, you know, it just it reinforced his stature among many people that he he really is very independent-minded, um, and. Uh, I don't think it was unexpected at all that he did that. I want I want to talk about something on a more somber note. I I believe that one of the pivotal moments, if not the most pivotal moment, of the 2018 gubernatorial campaign was May 10th of this year when Kevin Kamenetz, the former county executive, passed away suddenly. And to me, I saw that not only is just heartbreaking and truly a tragic moment for Baltimore County, for his family, for his two boys. But that upended the entire gubernatorial race. But outside of the politics, David, could you talk about how your experience working with uh, County Executive Kamenetz was, what what kind of manager he was, and the relationship you had with him, um, even outside of the politics? Um, I, I think it's worthy. that's a worthy conversation. Yeah, he um, first and foremost, he 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 was a true family man. He he loved his family. Um, he would take time to go to his children's uh, little league games. Whenever he went to Mako, he brought his family along. I mean, he genuinely loved his family, and uh, you know, always you know that's certainly the most heartbreaking part of that, the death, obviously, um, leaving behind his his wife and his two two boys. Um, yeah, so I, I got the call at 5 in the morning that morning. You know, it's ironic. I had been at the Baltimore County Detention Center that night because they do this barbecue for the workers who are like on their night shift. So I, I'd been there, and I came home, and I went to bed. And then I get this call from our council chairman who told me that Kevin Kamenetz was dead. So it was just oh. – first I thought I was like still asleep or something. But um, that set into motion just – you know the, the the first event in a horrible month for Baltimore County, um, the death of Kevin Kamenetz. We had the shooting of uh, police officer Amy Caprio, um, yeah. and then we had the, the flooding in Ellicott City. But 
Uh, Kevin's death, um, it just, you're exactly right. I mean, it was really the, I think, a pivotal point for Baltimore County, but also for politics in general for Maryland. We had to pick a new county executive. Um, there were some some thought that one of the council members might be elevated to that. And there were discussions among the council members. And finally, the, the Republicans basically said to Democrats, well, Don Moeller, who was Kevin Kamenetz's uh, chief of staff, and that became the consensus candidate. So I think we came out of that pretty well. And Don Moeller has done a good job. He's a good interim county executive, and I think we made the right choice. But as far as Kevin personally, um, I didn't always get along with him. He could he could sometimes be difficult to, to work with, mm-hmm. but he was a very smart man. He was a good manager, very disciplined, very hard worker, very strategic uh, leader. And he did a lot of good work in Towson, which really needed a lot of redevelopment. And I, I really believe if he had stayed in that race, if he'd been alive and you know, stayed through the primary, I think he would have won the primary. And I think the general would have been a lot closer. I think Hogan would have still won, but it would have been a lot closer. Uh, that is that is a a scenario that I have heard previously that had Kevin Kamenetz won the primary, and it certainly was not out of the question. He was always ranked in the top tier between himself and County Executive Rosharon Baker. And so he also had a significant amount of money that he raised, and Kevin Kamenetz was seen... He was a progressive, but I think he was more of a technocrat in the sense that he he managed county government. He understood it. He was Maryland to the core. He mm-hmm. was well known throughout. I, he was the the Mako president, or I, I believe that's correct. Yeah, um, yeah, he was. And he was well known throughout municipal government, and he was ruthless in his barrage of uh, I don't want to say attacks, but um, po- political differences against Governor Hogan, but Kevin certainly would have been he, – he's, he was definitely a qualified candidate to become governor. It would make sense. Baltimore County is one of the largest county jurisdictions in the state of Maryland, and he was perceived as somewhat of a moderate, and we all know that that it, Baltimore County is certainly a, a one – trajectory for any Republican. They, they need Baltimore County to win the gubernatorial race. So I, I agree with you, David. I think that it would have been a lot closer had, had Kevin yeah. Kamenetz won the primary. I do believe Larry Hogan was popularity was insurmountable to the extent that uh, people believed in, in him and he won people over almost in an intangible way that I really can't put it into words that just people felt good about voting for him. Um, it wasn't necessarily policy-wise, but I think Kamenetz would have run an efficient and effective campaign and would have demonstrated core differences and can point to his experience as an executive. But as I said, that was a, it was a, a total shock to everyone. It was a tragedy. Even with people whom he disagreed with, they – said some wonderful things. I went to his funeral. I'm, I'm sure you were there too, yes. as the mm-hmm. rest of Maryland. And my, just, my heart breaks for his wife, Jill, and for his two boys. That is so unfortunate. And in fact, he just celebrated, had he been alive, he would have celebrated his 61st birthday. And, you know, I, I don't know if you ever saw any signs that he was in poor health or whatnot, but whenever I saw Kevin, in fact, I saw him this Sunday before he passed away, at Montgomery County function and we shook hands and shared a lap and, and talked for a few moments and he looked vibrant. He looked healthy. He looked, uh, you know, like he was on top of the world. And then suddenly it just shows you the, the, how life goes sometimes. And you're here today and sadly gone tomorrow, but I, I never recognized any health issues. And what's most interesting is that he was with his democratic gubernatorial competitors the night before and then we all got that call on that thursday morning i was just it was just heartbreaking and i'm sure it threw county government into a tailspin um uh, what was that like david you mean after he died right yeah like the yeah um 
yeah, I mean, everything just came to a stop. Uh, and there was just an absolute total shock. Um, and, you know, a, a perfect amount of mourning. Um, his shadow really, he had a, cast a shadow over county government that endures to this day. Um, and it definitely impacted the election. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've heard Maryland Democrats are often called urbane or urban. Okay. <laughs> you think of, uh, urbane politicians, you know, the, the Paris Glendennings, the Harry Hughes, you know, the ones who focus on you know, statistics and are good governors and good managers. And then you have the urban politicians, the William Bell Schaefer's and the Barbara Mikulski's. He was definitely oh, yeah. the first category. He was urbane. Uh, he, was, he was smart. He was disciplined. He wasn't the most fuzziest of, of people. Uh, but I think, um, and as you said, he, he could be very ruthless. But I think people respected a lot of what he did, made tough decisions. And um, I think that would have served him very well in a gubernatorial campaign. I do too. And I, I think that it would have been, uh, Kevin knew how to be disciplined. There wasn't a whole lot of gaffes. Yes. He was a program person. He stuck to a script. And for many people, that serves them well, whereas Mr. Jealous certainly went off script many times. He was perceived as someone who was a outsider to Maryland in that he did not build the requisite required relationships that he needed to build with local state delegates even. I, I, I had a, a conversation, and I'm sure Bobby Zirkin won't mind that I share this. It wasn't necessarily mm -hmm. a private conversation because he publicized it that, I mean, Zirkin went out and said that Mr. Kamenin, or rather, I'm sorry, Mr. Jealous just certainly wasn't someone that he hasn't really reached out to the Baltimore County delegation. He, was, he wasn't someone who necessarily uh, understood certain policy and who would know better than Bobby Zirkin, uh, who represents a, a, Baltimore, a prominent Baltimore County district and has, is the chairman of the, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee. So, yeah, yeah, he, he, uh, he made so many gaffes. I mean, skipping Mako sure. and yelling, you know, the, the, the epithet with the reporter. I mean, yeah, you know, and, and he, he showed such a lack of discipline that uh, Larry Hogan, to his credit, has showed. Yeah. And and so and I want you to comment, too, on Don Mahler's service to the county when mm -hmm. when that transition occurred. Of course, Don Mahler was the longtime chief of staff to Kevin Kamenetz. The reviews have been overwhelmingly positive that I've read Baltimore Sun articles. I've talked to other members uh, of, of the staff who said that. Uh, Don Mahler was the right person at the right time, and he will be remembered as a, a solid interim county executive. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, yeah. So the, the charter requires that it be the same party as the the the, um, the, the council, the county executive who's, who's left office. So um, we had to pick a Democrat. Uh, like I said, there was some thought about elevating a council member. Um, that didn't pan out. And so the, the three Republicans went to the Democrats and said, this is a logical person. And, you know, we picked the right person. Don Moeller was a phenomenal communicator. And that's one area where I think he, he was an improvement over Kevin Kamenetz. Um, I didn't hear from Kevin Kamenetz, you know, very much directly. Um, Moeller, I heard from all the time. When the flooding occurred over mo the Memorial Day weekend, um, he was texting all of us in a, in a you know, a, a, a combined message. So we were on the same messages wow. as the rain was falling. He was telling wow. us, you know, we have our police chief here watching Ellicott city. You know, he did that. He was, he was an incredible communicator, very, um, very cooperative with the council. Um, and that continued over the half year he was county executive. He got a lot of projects done that had stalled for whatever reason under cabinets. Um, and he really reveled in the position. Uh, I didn't agree with everything. There was this incident at White Marsh Mall, which is right outside my district. And yeah, um, Kathy I've Bevins and this. I thought that the, yeah, Kathy Bevins and I thought there should be some changes to the bus schedule. And he came out against that. Um, didn't agree with his position there, but I think overall, he really provided a consistency and a good management style 
that served Baltimore County exceptionally well and uh, did, a, did a great job, did a great job. So let's move on. We have a new county executive in Baltimore County, and the, of course, the, the charter form of government there is, separates the, the council and the executive, and you work interchangeably with one another, but you, as a councilman on a county or yes, on a county council, you, in a sense, you hold accountable the county council, uh, the county executive, rather. So mm-hmm. let's talk about Johnny O, Johnny Oshesky. Um, mm-hmm. what's going to happen in the, the next year or so? How do you see his leadership and what kind of guy is he? Is he, um, I, I haven't, I don't know too much about, um, Johnny O. I don't know too much about, I mean, I know that he was a former state delegate. I know that he's a young guy. He's 36. I'm 33. And yeah. he, it's hard to believe that he's, I don't know if he's the youngest County, uh, County executive in the history of Baltimore County, but that, that seems awfully young. And I'm not, I'm not discriminating here or I'm not an ageist, but for, to, to lead a major county in the state of Maryland and even the United States, that's a, that's a big deal. How do you see his leadership differing from his predecessor, Kevin Kamenitz? And what are your expectations, David, for this new county executive? Yeah, yeah he's, he, he's 36. She said, I'm 45 uh, and I'm the youngest council member. Um, so it is uh, it is a definitely a generational shift in Baltimore County. Uh, there are a lot of longtime uh, agency heads who are leaving. Fred Homan is the, the big one. Fred Homan has been county administrative officer under uh, several county executives, a dominant figure in Towson, and he, he left on December 3rd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a real, a real generational shift. Um, uh, Johnny O, uh, young Earnest, very bright, very bright. Um, I didn't know him too well until he was elected. Um, I've talked to him several times since he's been elected. Um, And um, I think uh, he has the potential to be a real star for the Democrats, depending on how he governs. Um, But he's exceptionally bright. Um, And, you know, the reviews I've gotten from the delegates who served with him in Annapolis uh, universally are positive. I mean, the Republicans tell me when he was chairman of our delegation in the House in Annapolis, he uh, he was collaborative. He was just great to get along with. So there's a lot of optimism up here. Um, even the folks who didn't campaign for him, didn't support him, uh, I hope they give him a fair shot because he deserves that. And, um, you know, if he's smart, he, he governs as a moderate. That's that's how folks have, have – that's how county executives have generally governed here. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, as I said before, he was the most pro- progressive of the three candidates, I guess, but I hope he, he really steers a very centrist course as county executive. What type of progressive politics was part of his platform when he was running? What was, what were some of those key issues that, that he might have a challenge, especially in Baltimore County that is seen not necessarily progressive, but more middle of the road, I would say. Yeah, I mean, the, the big things he talked about um, concern the budget, um, you know, uh, universal pre-K, community college tuition, um, very expensive items. And he's, I think, realizing right now uh, the realities of our budget. Uh, we have a budget in which the, the income tax rate and the property tax rate have not been raised in about three decades. Right. Um, so they stayed the same. Yeah, it's a very big deal, and our population over that time has gone up by 150,000 residents. Um, we have aging schools. Um, many of our schools were built after the Second World War. We've replaced three schools at a cost of about $110 million each. So it's going to be very hard for him to you know, implement these, these programs, these operational programs, at a time when we have just massive capital costs that we have to fund. Uh, but that was a big part of his platform, and I think it attracted a lot of support from the progressive activists. Um, we have uh, affordable housing issues here. Baltimore County was sued by uh, some housing activists uh, several years ago who uh, forced the county executive, Kevin Kamenitz, to enter into a settlement agreement dealing with affordable housing. And it's been very unpopular in a lot of areas. 
uh, he has supported this uh, HOME Act, which outlaws discrimination based on source of income. So if you're a landlord, uh, you can't discriminate based on um, getting a voucher. And uh, that is not popular in a lot of places. Um, so uh, remains to be seen the extent to which he's going to push that type of an item. But I think those were really the two areas where he campaigned most strongly and uh, where he may have some, some trouble getting some traction. Councilman, I want to bounce between two issues. One is that last week uh, it was reported that the county executive uh, will do a national search for a new county police chief. And the current chief, Taryn Sheridan, he said that he wanted to, he's going to stay on for the six months during the search and then he's going to retire. Why is he leaving? Uh, he, he's, he served uh, decades in the police force. He was the state superintendent under Martin O'Malley. Um, and I think you know, he, he took the position after Jim Johnson was, was forced out uh, by cabinets. Uh, I don't think anyone expected for him to stay one. Um, and I think he just wants to enjoy retirement. It's, it's not like there's any sort of scandal out there. Uh, right. He served the county well. Um, I just think it's a matter of him wanting to enjoy the rest of his life. Um, so... Uh, you know, we have some competent folks who are majors and uh, very high up in the police department. But I think I think it's appropriate for the county executive to try to cast a wi wider net here. I have to tell you, Ryan, Baltimore City's problems are really affecting Baltimore County. Ah, sure. We surround. Yeah, I mean, more than ever, we surround uh, the, the city on three sides and um, this 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 wave of crime is just really seeping into the suburbs. So we, we really do need a police chief who's going to be a little more nimble in dealing with that. And we're just going to need more resources, more manpower uh, to respond to those type of problems. We'll come back to that. I, I want to talk about public safety issues. That's, a, of course, mm -hmm. a big responsibility for any member of a county council and municipal government. There was some discussion about who is staying and who is leaving inside of county government. And the Baltimore Sun did a great piece on which members were holdovers from uh, Don Muller and Kevin Kamenitz and some of the staffers who were leaving. And it looks like there's a few at the Baltimore Sun say who are in limbo. And Patrick Murray, who was the uh, former mm -hmm. chief, of, I believe he served Mike Miller and then he was at the state party. He's the new chief of staff. I've met Patrick Murray. He's a bright guy, and he's yeah, he is. a very smart guy. And so do you want to comment about any of the, the staffers who are coming in who have – if I may be incorrect, um, but is it every, every county official or part of the cabinet has to be confirmed by the council? Is that, is that accurate? Uh, his senior aides do not, um, so Pat, Patrick Murray does not have to be confirmed. Um, I don't know him too well. I, I have met with him. Uh, I've been impressed by his responsiveness so far. Uh, I'm going to tell you, if, if Johnny O is able to get uh, the state legislature to provide some assistance uh, for the school construction program, it, uh, Patrick Murray will probably have a big hand in that. That's so great. I think it was I think it was very smart for him to pick someone in his senior staff uh, who had that type of relationship with Annapolis. Um, uh, Sam Miller, I do know, um, uh, very active. Not Sam Miller. Gosh, I should, I'm 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 blanking her last name, um, and it's going to kill me later on. <laughs> um, he, he is one of the one of his one of his aides who used to work for Ken Ullman, and uh, I do know her very well uh, from economic development circles. Um, but well, overall, I, I oh, would there's say, Sam O'Neill. Is that is Sam O'Neill? Sam O'Neill. Okay, that's it. Sam O'Neill. Sam O'Neill. Very bright, uh, very active with Ken. Uh, Ken Ullman has done a lot of work in revitalizing College Park, and of course, that's important for me in Towson. Um, oh, sure. But I, I think I think generally, you know, it, it's a very young, very young cadre of uh, senior staff, uh, many of whom have very you know partisan degrees. Um, and as long as, as Johnny O continues to be bipartisan and reach out to the Republicans, um, hopefully he'll be successful. Is there a concern, David, that 
Johnny O would not reach out to Republicans or that he would stick to the party line? I think there's been that con- some of that concern, um, but his actions over the past week have been uh, have been very satisfying. I mean, he um, as soon as he was inaugurated, he came down to the county council and spoke to us. Um, he has met with each one of us, Republican or Democrat alike. I mean, it's a four-three council. Um, it's it's nearly split, and I think he very wisely knows that uh, he needs to build relationships among all of us. And I think the other thing he realizes is that you know, the Republicans have good relationships with Governor Hogan. Um, let me give you a good example. In Towson, we want to try to get a circulator developed. You know, you have you have a circulator in Bethesda, mm-hmm. these little transit programs, and in, in comparable communities. Well, I mean, Chris West, who's going to be the new state senator, and I can work with Maryland DOT and Governor Hogan to try to get some state money for that sort of project. So I think he realizes that, you know, the 4-3 complexion of the council matters um, and something, you, you know, you don't have in Montgomery County. Uh, but also um, the Republicans here have relationships with Governor Hogan that could really benefit um, Towson, just like uh, someone like Patrick Murray has, Murray has relationships with Mike Miller that will benefit him in the, in the budget process. That's good. I, and I think county, county and state government – are often intertwined. Johnny O being a former state legislator, that's important. Yep. I think that he can build consensus and he can talk to some of his former colleagues. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful in, in that respect. Um, let's talk, let's just move slightly over. I want to ask you about some of the politics in, in the state of Maryland. The governor won handily against Ben Jealous, and that was expected. I, I, I think that even if you ask most Democrats, they may not they may not have said it publicly, David, but rather privately they they conceded that Governor Hogan was virtually unbeatable, and I think that would be a fair thing to say. He certainly proved that that um, he ran a formidable race. Uh, he took nothing for granted. He showed up everywhere, and his opponent was uh, probably not as strong as the Democratic Party would like. But outside of Governor Hogan. It seems like his coattails didn't extend very far, or maybe none at all. The Republicans lost eight House seats, and the drive for five did not work out as intended. That was the drive for five to pick up at least five Senate seats for Republicans to veto-proof the um, the Senate. So what do you think happened there? Was it just a tough year from uh, from President Trump on down the ballot, or do you think that the leadership – that the Republicans just should have used a different strategy. I don't know. What say you? I think Governor Hogan is his own unique brand. I think he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Charlie Baker. He is just a a, a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal governor, great governor, best governor of my lifetime. But also just this uh, this he almost has has like celebrity status. Um, just this incredible bipartisan appeal that transcends traditional boundaries. I mean, how else do you explain how well he did in Montgomery County or Baltimore City? Yeah, 45%. Yeah, I mean, a, yeah, a third of the vote in Baltimore City. Um, uh, he, so I, I think he's his own unique brand. Um, I, I just – I think there's a lot of folks who, who uh, were, were sending a message to Donald Trump. No, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I would be outside in my polling stations – People would come up to me and say, we love you. You've done a good work. We just can't vote for a Republican this year. So what, uh-huh. what I would tell them is, well, just you know, write your own name in. You can leave it blank. Um, and I, I was able to get a fair number of Democrats in, in my own race. But um, I only – I won 58-42 against someone who did barely campaigned at all, um, skipped six of seven community forums, um, and uh, I vastly outspent – and it was just Democrats voting straight Democratic. I mean, oh, how else sure. do you explain Alan, Alan Kittleman losing? Alan Kittleman made no mistakes. He, he, he governed flawlessly in that county. Um, there's just no reason he should have lost that race. And, and, um, and people just went yeah, straight I mean, down the line. Alan Kittleman was seen as a potential gubernatorial candidate in 2022, was someone that is still very well-respected. 
And how exactly how do you explain him losing when he did a great job? And I think it was down ballot. I think it, it happened at the top. People said, I just can't vote for the Republican. And that's that's what we got. And so you're right. Governor Hogan has his own unique brand. But even with even with that, as we as I mentioned earlier, his his coattails clearly didn't yeah. affect other other House Republicans. And so, you know, I um, it's going to take some rebuilding, I believe, for the, the state Republican Party at the local level. Uh, there's a lot of re- Republican municipal officials, but that it seems like at the state delegation, I don't think it's unfair to say that they got shellacked in, in that uh, in yeah. that area. So, yeah, um, I mean, uh, Christian Mealy's race is really heartbreaking. Um, yeah, that, that's he, my that that's my own state legislative district. Um, you know, to be fair, he was running against Kathy Klausmeyer, who's a personal friend, and I, she's, you know, she's been very visible state senator here. But Christian, uh, uh, almost a perfect race. He worked so hard. Um, he was he was working, you know, 14, 15 hour days door knocking, and he lost. Um, and what's amazing, in, in someone needs to go back and look at these numbers, absentee ballots. Uh, not only did Almost every Republican I know lose absentee ballots, but Larry Hogan lost on absentee ballots. Yeah. And I, I have to wonder if the Democratic Party had some sort of massive absentee ballot program we're not aware of because it's just, it's just it's amazing. But but you're totally right. I mean, the Christian Mealy race, uh, Joe Cluster losing in my district. Um, that was interesting. You know, just, I didn't see that coming. Real, yeah. I mean, the, the Anne Arundel County races, I think there was a sense that Steve Shue might be in trouble. Um, I think development and you know, there were polls there that showed that his race was getting very close. That's a, a county that seems to be getting bluer. Um, but there's just other races where Republican did everything possible to win and just got dragged down by national national uh, backers. Yeah. Um, David, what are what are some agenda items that you're the new council? will be facing over the next six months? What's some of the priorities that you as a council are looking at together? Uh, the budget is the big enchilada here. Um, the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, you know we, we've borrowed a lot of money to rebuild these schools. Um, and that's fine to an extent. I mean, we have a good bond rating, which means when you, you, know, you borrow the money, you, you pay it back at less interest. Um, but that can only go so far. Um, the a lot of people were pressuring county executive to raise taxes, property or income taxes. So the Republicans are going to do everything possible to avoid that. Um, I have some thoughts. Uh, I think if you get more state aid, that helps. Um, if you lower the cost of these schools, the construction costs, that will help. Uh, we probably have to look at impact fees, which is something that every other jurisdiction has. Sure. Except us. We don't do that. Um, but we are going to be doing everything possible to avoid an income and a property tax rate increase here. Uh, but in Baltimore County, it's it's the cost of these schools that is driving the budget. Uh, we have schools that were built 50, 60 years ago, uh, places like Delaney High School that have brown water. Yeah, and replacing them is just very expensive. Well, that's a, that was a major issue that led local municipal officials and state officials almost in a standoff a few months ago yeah. that the Delaney high school issue is, is still a, 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 one of those wedge issues that's prominent as it should be. Look, kids are going to school and they have inadequate water, basic necessities for school kids that, that go to school that don't have access to clean water. That's, that's unacceptable. David, what do we what do you make of that? How, how is that being fixed? Is that being uh, taken care of? I mean, is there progress being made there with Delaney? Well, we we had a report that just came out Friday uh, by a group that was commissioned by our school board that basically um, gave priority to Lansdowne and Towson High School getting the schools before Delaney. So it's it's those three schools, but Delaney they ranked at the bottom. Now I represent Towson High School. I, I would love to get a new Towson High School. But we have to also take care of Delaney. I, I am I am hopeful that our new school board is going to be helpful here. 
we have an elected school board for the first time in history. Um, seven members elected, four appointed by the mm-hmm. governor. And this was one of the – for Republicans, this is one of the real pleasant surprises, I think, in Baltimore County. Um, conservatives want a majority on our school board, fiscal conservatives. And I think they're going to be taking a look at the money that we spend in Baltimore County and hopefully um, trimming some fat off the budget. And if they can do that, that will help both Mr. Olszewski and the county council. Um, so that, that is, that's going to be an area I definitely would watch. The county executive, he, he does have his work cut out for him. In fact, the, the fiscal outlook for the county is somewhat of a concern for many constituents and for the council. And I was reading about the advisor report by a group that evaluates their borrowing patterns that said that yep. the county cannot sustain its current rate of borrowing for its infrastructure projects. And what, what, what is the change that is needed? How can you get that under control? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, you, you, gotta, you have to find additional revenue somewhere. Uh, and that's where, you know, hopefully Annapolis can help. Maybe we can look at impact fees. Uh, we, we cut the cost of these schools. All that helps. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, we're, we're facing the fact that we haven't raised the property and income tax rates in, in 30 years. And um, at some point, you know, our, our population's grown so much that at some point you people begin to ask, well, is this going to continue forever, particularly when, our surrounding jurisdictions all have higher tax rates. Um, you know, there's people asking, is there a way of lowering the property tax rate and boosting the income tax rate? Um, can you get away with that sort of combination? I don't know. But it is uh, this this fiscal issue is the, the central issue facing Mr. Olszewski and the county council. And oh. uh, I'm going to be talking to my Republican constituents. Um, you know, the, the areas that need the new high schools have a lot of Republicans, and I'm going to be talking to them and, and getting their advice as to what we do. Our, uh, nobody wants their property taxes to be raised. Nobody wants their taxes ever to be raised for anything, but we also understand on the flip side that if we want goods and services, if we want quality public schools, it has to be paid for in a county as yeah. large as Baltimore County that hasn't raised property taxes or uh, in 30 years – there's clearly an adjustment that will be need to be made somewhere, and I'm not advocating I would uh, for raising taxes. That's always a an option of the very last resort. But and I'm also not advocating for Baltimore County to do what Montgomery County did. Look, Baltimore Montgomery County three years ago raised our property taxes a staggering 8.9 percent. That's a lot. That was I mean that was just unbelievable. Yet same people still got elected. It's it's surprising to me. Um, yeah. And yeah. Has there been discussions of of raising the property taxes? Has there's been this? I know that the county executive does not want to do that. To be fair, he does not want to do that. But he also does not rule it out, as any reasonable government official should say. They they just can't rule that out. But um, I'm hoping that the the council and the executive's office executive himself you guys can take a careful look at the budget and let me ask you this um republicans are going to want to know david where can you cut spending i think you can cut uh at the school system level i mean there are a lot of people who don't think that we should have spent so much on laptop computers uh this was dallas dance's big initiative um the republicans on the council did try cutting those back Uh, we were unsuccessful um, but I think the school board is really going to be the place that we have to look for some efficiencies. I mean, look, 60% of our budget goes to schools and libraries and community colleges. Uh, Approximately uh, so, how much money is that? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It's for well over a billion. Um, but okay. it's, it's, uh, it's a substantial part of our budget, so that's going to be an area where people look for some efficiencies. Um, you know, there were some pay pay increases that were uh, put through uh, under Mr. Kamenitz. People will probably be looking at that. Um, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of things on the table right now. Uh, and like I said, I, I do not want to raise taxes. I, I certainly see what places like Montgomery County have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, if you if you do look around the country, 
and I'm not, and again, I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but if you look around the country, the places where, where there have been tax increases before the voters, where they voted on tax increases, they've been successful where the voters are given a menu of things that are funded. You know, you're funding this school, this road, this park, et cetera. And um, so if Mr. Osefsky does come in with a proposed tax increase and uh, uh, points to specific capital projects that could be funded, he might be able to gain broader public acceptance for that. But it has got to come with commiserate cuts. I mean, there has to be some cuts in that budget. Uh, you just can't do one. Constituents are worried about overdevelopment. What are, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, this has been a big area for me. Um, I represent uh, a very fast-growing community. Uh, Perry Hall, where I live, developed extremely rapidly uh, during the time I've lived here. And I've lived here since I was five years old. I worked on a lot of this when I was president of the Perry Hall Improvement Association. And when I, was, when I got first elected, I downzoned a lot of land. Um, and it's tough to do. When you downzone a property, you're affecting someone's livelihood, you're affecting their pension. But the fact of the matter is that growth doesn't pay for itself. Uh, you, you build houses, you know, someone has to build new schools and new roads. And I think if I had not done that type of downzoning, we would be in even an even worse position in my part of the county, um, where we've already had to build new schools and roads to keep up with the increased population. Now, there are places where you do need a lot of redevelopment, and one is Towson. Uh, and we've been very successful. If you've driven to Towson recently, there's a ton of redevelopment going on there. That makes mm-hmm. sense. That's an older, distressed community, and that's the type of place where you really should be focusing your resources. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing Baltimore County has done very well, if you drive along 83, you, you hit this lush green area, and then you immediately know when you get to Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania, because it starts developing again. Um, we've done a very good job managing our growth, and uh, we have to steer new development into places like Towson uh, and you know, renovate, revitalize these older areas so that we can keep that farmland in northern Baltimore County protected. Another area that Baltimore County constituents I've heard from is a big point of contention and concern is – Fixing 695, what, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That's really tough. Um, I think you can only add on so many lanes to the way. I mean, we, we've expanded the Beltway from Towson to Parkville, yeah. and yet you still sit in backups. There's, there's this, this philosophy, this principle in economics called induced demand. You know, you build more roads, and they simply fill up with more cars. All right. Um, I think what we need to do in the county is look at nimble and smart transit. You know, is there a way of getting people from uh, uh, various places uh, in, in buses or transit working with employers? Um, you know, is there a way of doing bus rapid transit in places? And this is where the red line was, was I think, totally overboard in Baltimore City. Was they were focusing on these these heavy rail projects when you could be doing things at cheaper costs to, to move people very nimbly uh, through bus rapid transit, through traditional buses, things like that. Um, you know, yeah, you, you can have highways expansion in places, need more roads in places, but ultimately I think we do need to look at smart transit uh, wherever possible. Definitely a, a plausible alternative to filling up roads. It's a, Major problem here, David, in Montgomery County with uh, the, <laughs> the 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 370, and then we have 270. It's a it's a major problem, and I am, however, grateful that we built the ICC, which gets me to oh, Baltimore yeah. a lot quicker than it would before by taking the roundabout on uh, 495. I use the ICC quite frequently. I spend. I spend a lot of time um, over in Baltimore County working with the Jewish community. Uh, part of my day mm-hmm. job is uh, with I work with Holocaust survivors and the Baltimore, especially in the Catonsville area, they have a significant Jewish population who are Russian speaking. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I do spend a lot of time in Baltimore County and 
I frequent their restaurants. I visit uh, uh, many local places that, uh, you know, coffee shops and whatnot. I love getting over there. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, home. I know my, my wife, as you know, Kim, she grew up in Reisterstown. And so mm-hmm. Baltimore County is is an important place to both of us. Um, we uh, we love going over to Reisterstown to a, a place called the Harriman House. I'm sure you've been there before. Yeah. Um, one of the, the finest places uh, to get a bite to eat or uh, have a beer or whatnot. But, uh, well, David, this has been enlightening. I, I wish I had more opportunity to cover Baltimore County politics. And I think over the next couple of years, that opportunity will be there. I know the Baltimore Sun doesn't. Uh, does it a duty a to cover they 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 certainly cover politics ad nauseum but I think you're going to see um, other folks jump in there and try to find out what's going on and bring it to uh, their audience so um, congratulations on your reelection and thank you for your public service uh, this has been fun I I really hope you come back and we can talk about more in depth some of the uh, the issues that are happening as they happen in real time. Oh, I, I'd happily do it. Please invite me back. You know, we, we are the Ohio of Maryland. Uh, you, you know, no Republican, no Democrat can win that governorship without getting Baltimore County. And we really are a microcosm of Maryland in many respects. So uh, I'd be happy to come back and uh, look forward to doing so. Well, Councilman David Marks, I really appreciate the opportunity on Sunday night. Um, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And uh, good luck moving forward. And as you uh, begin to work with the new council and the new executive, you have a lot on your plate and uh, you're going to need uh, lots of insight from the constituents that you serve. And I'm sure that uh, as you move forward, um, you'll continue to do what is right for uh, the people of Baltimore County. So, Councilman, thank you so much for joining me tonight. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. All right. Take it easy. All righty. Baltimore County Councilman David Marks. He represents District 5. Pleasure to have him. He's a smart person. He truly cares about his constituents. Uh, he knows the issues pretty pretty well. Um, and this is an opportunity to really get involved in what's happening in Baltimore County politics, an area that I have uh, not covered more than I would like. And that's an area that we're going to follow closely. There's turnover in some of the major counties in Maryland. Calvin Ball over in Howard County, as we talked about earlier on the show. Anne Arundel County, that's another county we don't get involved in as much on a minor detail. And that I'm hoping to change. Down in Annapolis, uh, I want to, I, I have a new inside connection with my friend Susan, who is at the mayor's office. And uh, hopefully we can get Gavin Buckley uh, on the show sometime soon. And we're going to be doing a lot of new events upcoming. I'm hoping to use a minor detail to really draw out those important details of every story. All those little, those little pieces of gossip that might be on the street. That's what I do. I go out and try to scoop that up and make sense of Maryland politics as best as I can. We'll be back next week. I don't know who the guest would be, but we'll find someone, or we'll talk about an issue that uh, is in the news at this time. My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail radio podcast. You can find me on the web at aminordetail.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and be sure to drive safely. Drive safely. It is the holidays, and there's a natural predisposition to drive unseemly and unruly near the holidays. So please, when you're out there, consider others. Be kind. Remember, it's the holidays. The spirit of Christmas is with us all. Also, to our friends in the Jewish community, Happy Hanukkah. I believe it's the uh, seventh night, if I'm not mistaken, maybe eighth. Uh, I have to go and look. So with that, thank you, everybody, for listening God bless you all, and uh, we'll see you back here again soon.